a rare day, Darren, that we're these days that we're standing together in the studio. That's never that's never split up again. It's um stay together. It's great to see you. It is good to see you too. Yeah. I love the hair. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going for the full Leo's hair. But should you? The sort of to hell with common sense. I'm doing it. I'm going for the no, Leo like Sayer, Oliver Cromwell, uh, King Charles type curly edifice. So good yeah. head and that shoulders. <laughs> the style never, the style never stops in our house. I tell you, never starts. Yeah. So, so today's episode, uh, today's episode is something I've been looking forward to for ages, and it's an interview with a concertina player. Kathy Custy and you may have heard us talking to Kathy's brother Tola Custy a couple of weeks ago really fantastic chat and today's is is no less fascinating and uh, just a lovely experience a lovely experience as ever we, I mean I keep saying this but it's it's so lovely to be able to sit close to someone when they're playing and really think about what they're playing as they're doing it and and this is one of those um, this is one of those episodes and I think you'll hear from Kathy's playing how beautiful it is so uh, so that's coming up yeah but before we get into it, I just wanted to say thank you to the people that went over and became patrons in the last few weeks while I was away. Listen, thank you so much. Those contributions are what make this thing sustainable. It's what means it's going to continue and allows us to plan. Because, you know, producing a podcast like this, it, it's not easy, right? It takes a lot of time, not just the traveling to and from interviews, the interviews themselves, the organizing of that. But there's so much stuff that has to happen in the background from editing, hosting, maintaining. It takes a lot of time. And not that we're not grateful. We are so privileged to be creating this archive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we do need your help to, to make it continue. And look, if it helps, I've been kind of thinking about it this way. If it helps, maybe think about your donation in this way. So first of all, you get an hour of quality chat each week and there's some bloody good stuff in there, right? The second one is you get at least four to five tunes, sometimes more of some of the best players going at the moment. You're actively involved in archiving the lives, the stories and the tunes of the players of today, which it's probably the most important point of it all. And finally, which is kind of like a bit of icing on the cake, you're paying for the 95% of people who are not paying and that's a that's a positive right we always knew that majority of people wouldn't be able to chip in at the minute it's about four percent of people who listen chip in which is brilliant but if you can chip in you're paying for everyone else you're paying for that pleasure for this to spread so if you can please do we'll always understand if you can't but if you can we'd really appreciate it yeah and you know what we what we'd love is to get obviously above Five percent. You know, if you're one of the ninety-five percent who are listening and and you're you're not currently a patron, that's that's totally cool if if that's your deal. But if there's any way you can support us, it it makes a difference. You know, it really does make a difference, and um, that's all we can say. We we want to get to, we want to get to thirty, forty, fifty percent of people listening who are paying, um, n- not because we're avaricious, but because, um, this is something that we that we really believe in, and we want to. Uh, we want to be able to keep doing it and, you know, just build this. Yeah, so build thanks this. to everyone that's gone over there so far. And we look forward to seeing the rest of you come across at some stage. <laughs> All right, shall we get into yes, it? Yes, let's get into the show. Today, Kathy Custy, as I was saying, here she is. Enjoy. Thank <laughs> you. 
Kathy, Kirsty, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. My pleasure to be here. All right, so so what were those tunes? Um, they are two tunes that I wrote a long, long time ago in Ireland called The Clickin' Chickens and The Indian Summer. Right, beautiful tunes. Yeah, they're, yeah. I, I kind of like them. Right. <laughs> so so the first time, um, the first time I met you was like three months ago, I guess. And, October. Um, was it? Oh, was you October. remember that? I do remember clearly. <laughs> Well, wh- what's your memory of that? Because I, I think some Chris uh, Fitzgerald at the last year had um, said to you that maybe it would be a good idea if, if we did this interview for the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. And when I had a chat with you, you weren't very keen. So I nearly lost my life. I, I thought it was such a... Uh, I, like, I had only just come back to playing Irish music from a huge gap. And that was probably the second session I'd been to, maybe the third. So... so yeah. um, you told me a story on the phone about um, the first time you came back here to play at a session. So can you just tell me that story? Like, So uh, I was a concertina player called Jamie Malloy kept um, inviting us to come and play music, my husband Mark and I. And I just, yeah, it just didn't happen. And then all of a sudden I decided I was going to go to the session. And he said he would be here on the Sunday night and... I actually it was a Wednesday night and I'd organised a babysitter, Mark was working, and jumped in the car and parked outside. And I was just really nervous and I just thought I can't go in. And I also thought I can't go home because I've got a babysitter and the kids would be really unhappy if I turned up. <laughs> so I just sat in the car and thought, just, just go in. But I hadn't been playing at all, so it was a massive deal for me to go in to the session. Um, and I could hear the music when I was in the car. Um, and I went in and I just wasn't sure. Um, but it was just a really welcoming se- session and people were really nice and friendly. And So I've had that very same experience in the last y- year and a half of sitting outside a session that I was invited to come to at somebody's house and hearing the music coming out and thinking all these kinds of ex- the kind of excuses that you come up with like That's for mad. not doing exercise or something I you think oh, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll go, to the, I'll go to the next one or maybe I'll just you know I'll go home and watch a film or something you know what I mean so, like oh, I actually thought I, I yeah I just thought I can't do this like, now, how wh- why because um, I hadn't been playing I really hadn't been playing at all and when I did play I didn't like what I heard uh, how long um, probably about 15 years. So each time I go back to Ireland, maybe every two years I'd play with my dad. And I loved that. But then back to New Zealand at the time, and then we moved to Melbourne, and I just didn't like what I heard. So I just couldn't play. When you say you didn't like what you heard, what were you hearing? Just, oh, just it, was, it was just awful. It was just rough. And I have a thing about rhythm, and I just couldn't get the rhythm right. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> that puts you in a very large group of people. <laughs> There's a lot of people I hear playing and can't get rid of it, myself included. I just couldn't, and I just didn't like the tunes I was playing. And when I'd play, I just kept getting distracted and I couldn't focus. It just Look, it just wasn't coming together. It just wasn't. Right. So um, we should say at this point then that I was kind of surprised when you told me that. And the reason being that I had heard your name as mentioned by uh, from Chris and I, I knew the Custy name um, vaguely in my mind I knew about your father and that he was a very uh, instrumental 
teacher of Irish music to youngsters in the the 60s, I guess, the 50s yeah. and 60s. Yeah. And so I knew and about that sure, yeah. about that influence, but I couldn't quite place it. So then I was very surprised when you told me that, that, that you hadn't been playing for 15 years. So I think the best part of that night for me was I came in here and I wasn't a daughter to anybody and I wasn't a sister to anybody who was famous and I wasn't a wife. I just came in and I just said, my name is Kathy. Like it was, I, this wasn't a planned thing. It just was incredible. And people, they just introduced me as Kathy. And they said, oh, can you play a few tunes? And I said, yeah, I can play a few tunes. It was just the most liberating thing and not planned. I, so I guess what I've just said actually goes to, goes right to the heart of that, yeah, right? So yeah. immediately I heard that you were Kathy Custy there was some sense of expectation maybe yeah I was just Kathy and then people pushed me a little bit further and they said oh where are you from so I said oh, I'm from County Clare but I just left it at that Aye. why were you not playing for so long uh, what what happened well nothing happened like there's no big huge story it's just I just got busy and just I guess, you know, if I'm doing something, I do it full on. And I was just doing parenting and I was doing working, different things. And so there just wasn't space. And I guess I didn't create space. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. And I'm not sure why. I'm not really sure. So what's your earliest memory of music then? Now, you asked me this on the phone and I was thinking about it. My earliest memory of playing music was playing the tin whistle and learning like just note for note and I've got this memory of how do you put all the notes together to sound a tune and I it must have been quite a stressful thing for me because it's quite strong in my memory um, and obviously I've learned to put the, the notes together and create a tune um, and other than that that would be my first one that would be my very first memory of playing mm -hmm. I was probably about four maybe five and, and where do you come in your family? So there's five kids and I'm the second youngest. You're the second youngest. So only only your brother Tola yeah. is, is youngest, younger, yeah. right? So w what kind of, what music were you hearing around the house? Like we heard all kinds of music from Connie Francis. My mother was into all kinds of music and she was big into, um, oh, country and western. Not, a, not an awful lot of Irish music. So she always had a cassette tape in the tape recorder and she would record tunes from the radio. And I think that's the huge thing for us as kids. When she would record a tune, you could just see it was something she just loved. And she, yeah, we, um, country and western, some Irish stuff, but mostly... Um, kind of the shows and stuff as well and, and opera, a little bit of opera we had a huge, and, and classical she was, loved classical music as well mm -hmm. Did she sing or play or something? Yeah, she's a beautiful singer yeah. so she loved to sing and she would always kind of hum along to songs and I think that's how we we, I, I know for me definitely I would have learned a lot of songs from her humming, even more than listening to the radio mm -hmm. Is there is there a, a particular song from that period that if you hear it on the radio it takes you back? Because I'm always interested about how songs. There is, there is the Gambler, 
Oh. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a huge one. Like, I, there's, there's that's just... The, uh, Kenny, Kenny Rogers. Rogers. Yeah, like, there's lots of songs like that. And I actually love that song. Mm-hmm. I, I would even play it myself. I wouldn't play it today, but I do like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you play... You say you play it yourself. You mean you sing at it? Home. No, no, just by myself. Right. At home, yeah. Right. Oh, right, I see. Play the... Play, I could play it on the concertina. Right. So I love to play, on, play, it, no, play... No, 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 not today. Oh, <laughs> no, go on. No, no, no. No, but just I, for the crowd. No, I couldn't. Okay, I would love to. That would be so cool yeah, to hear that. Yeah, but not today. No. Okay. No. Okay. But it, like and um, oh, like loads of country and western songs. It's interesting that um, my my mum was very into that stuff as well. Like very the the type of country and western that I would like least. So not even Glen Campbell or things like that, but really country and western <laughs> I wouldn't listen to it myself I but when I listen to it now I think of my mother it's just beautiful so, so where do you think the appeal of that comes to where do you think the appeal of that music comes from for people like your mum my mum loads of people in the west of Scotland it's huge country and western all over Ireland yeah. I don't know I, I, I'm not Daniel sure Daniel O'Donnell type stuff as well you know that yeah I'm not sure is it the words like for me the words are not something that I would that doesn't turn me on it's the music but I think for my mother maybe the words that's a huge thing and I think it's something people could relate to aye, aye I, I, kind of narrative yeah, narrative songs stories yeah. people love that yeah. yeah so so you start playing the whistle um what what are those tunes? Do you remember what those are? They can, is it Roddy McCarley? And oh look, it's these simple. <laughs> and if I was learning that on the tin whistle, it would be not even that fast. So imagine how daunting it would be to think of putting it all together to play a tune. Mm-hmm. It just must have been. It must be. Must have been quite massive that I do remember that. Yeah, it, it's pretty interesting though that that um, distinction. Like um, when I started trying to play the whistle again years ago, and I took some lessons from a guy in Seattle, a flute player, and and he basically said, "I'm playing the notes, but not the tune." Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, like it's a huge difference and it's quite scary when you put it all together and when you're listening to other people playing, you know, that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. So so, uh, who were you learning from? Learning from my dad. Mm-hmm. So dad, I was four, so probably had just started school. And your dad is Frank yeah. Custy. Yeah, so my dad, was he was the, the principal of the local primary school um, and he, he definitely didn't teach us at, at home. It was at school, so I must have been at school at four. Um, and yeah, he just he would we would play music in the mornings. So kids would arrive at school, and you play music, or kids would play sport, and then the bell would ring, and then school started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I'd heard that Tola, your brother, mentioned that when, when we were chatting that that there was like a, a half hour before classes started where everybody would play. Which I, I kind of wondered was that just the role of your dad or was that like the oh, that was national totally curriculum? Dead. Oh or? no, that was totally dead. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just 
you know, kids came on the bus, kids walked, so kids would come at different times. And it was just, you know, what a nice way to get everyone together. Aye. It's yeah. just, I think it's amazing now, looking on it now, Aye. and looking at what my kids, you know, I we walk to school and we're kind of hanging out and waiting to see what's next. But that was a lovely way just to kind of start the day. Just just lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to do another chin? What have we got to... I'm going to play a tune. Oh, I absolutely love this tune. Tola, my brother, wrote this tune. Um, and I learned it recently, and I just, I just love the change of key. And it's called Warrior Time. Um, it doesn't sound like a warrior tune to me, so I'm not sure how he got that name, but it's just a really relaxing waltz. glad I didn't make too many mistakes. <laughs> Were you always then, was music um, a voluntary thing in your family? Was it? You know, it was. And I think I really can see 
like you don't realize what's happening in your family when you're growing up because you just think that's just part of what you do but I really notice it with my own kids music with them is about practicing and it's a bit of an effort but also it just was the most natural thing like why is that like wh- wh- how did how did they pull that off your your folks I, I just wish I knew I want to know how to do that with my own I was I guess the big thing was it was just all around us as well like that's the difference so my kids play now but they don't have a lot of music around them and so it's quite intense but for us like our friends played and everyone at school played so it was kind of a community thing mm-hmm. i i reckon that's the biggest part mm-hmm. so it was a very natural it, it yeah it was just everybody did it everyone did it so so f- for people who aren't familiar with it then where you grew up you say it's a community thing what what does that mean does that mean you were like playing for Irish dancing or like where were you playing then? well there were different facets so we so we all played at school and not everybody had to play so some kids were more into sport and they didn't have to play music and then I guess you had the bigger thing in Ireland like competitions and so there'd be a lot of that would be a lot of pressure that's where the pressure came in and I don't know I don't know if we were really all that well set up for competitions we definitely didn't ever do good at them. <laughs> so you, you see set up as in... Well, I think Dad was more into playing and just... in like. Now, we were under pressure to play Irish music for dancing. That was the big thing. That came from him. Um, but he wasn't a huge one to pressurise us into playing for competition. So a lot of that was left up to us. Um, and I just think, like, we lived in the country... And it was just part of your identity. It really, really was. And it, Irish music is massive in Ireland. And so it was back then too. Mm-hmm. It, it just, like, it's hard to describe because it wasn't something we did a lot of thinking about. It's just there, like the... It's just there. Yeah. Like, it's just... I guess, you know, we lived in New Zealand for 18 years and sport is massive there. And I wonder sometimes if it's a bit like that. See, I just hate sports, so to me that would be awful. But it's a huge thing in New Zealand, and everybody does it. And there's no, there isn't a lot of talking about it. You just do it. Yeah. Um, wh- what then, um, as you start to get older, like 11, 12, 13, are you playing in flowers then and competitions yourself? Yeah, I think the big thing for us was more playing for concerts and playing. Like we, we used to have this gig at the Cliffs of Moher. And we'd play it every week, and tourists would come along. That was the kind of thing I was think. This a pub? Uh, no, no, like a like a um, like a cultural centre, maybe. Oh right, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, not a pub. No, we didn't really play in pubs. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing, we didn't when we were kids. Um, and for tourists and that, they'd come in their big buses and stuff, and we'd play. But we loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we got older, then we. I think the harder thing for us was playing for dancing and playing for set dancing. That was kind of the harder part of Irish music for us. Why? Because there was no freedom. There was just, it was, it was playing fast, playing into the mic, lots of direction and lots of control. And I think that probably was the hardest part of music for me, definitely. And... and what were your siblings playing then? So give me the lineup of the. Um, so there would be, 
it was like it was a big family affair and which was fine when we were younger but as we got older that was hard um, so there'd be my parents Frank and Teresa and then us five kids and then and what, what instruments would you be playing? Um, fiddles two fiddles Nora on the drums actually three fiddles Francis, Mary, Toll on the fiddle and me on the concertina um, Martina Kelly, a friend of ours on the accordion and then other people would join us mm-hmm. And how did you move from we've kind of done a big jump from a whistle note by note to concertina, <laughs> what, was, what was your kind of instrument progression? Oh the concertina was the best because there were so many fiddles in our family and I think dad must have realised we needed a different instrument and I got a concertina for my ninth birthday. Right. It was just—it was just the most amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely, well, that they chose that for me. I was just thrilled. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And then I started lessons with Garo the Holland concertina player in Innes. So Dad would have taught me the basics, and then I went to lessons um, for maybe three or four years. Mm-hmm. Now, you're talking about the basics here, so you've got the concertina on your knee here, and one of the interesting things, I'm recording this in a stereo mic, and so you get parts of the melody come in the left channel, parts yeah. of them come in the right channel, so the melody is constructed from both sides of the both instrument. Both sides, right? yeah. So, like, there's a lower, th- like, the left-hand side is mostly lower, and the higher side is in the right. But there's also a mix. Like, there's quite a mix, and there's so many different ways you can play Uh, what, what did you just do there? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? God, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, generally the left side is the low, but there's also higher notes on it too. Like, it's quite a... Like, it actually sounds harder than it is. It's not that hard an instrument because you you, pr- you press a button and it'll all sound good. But you play the fiddle and it's like it takes such a long time just to get a good sound. You know, that's really interesting. Maybe, I wonder, was that your, partly the motivation for your parents? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I think there was a thing, too, because I was small, and I think they wanted some... Like, obviously, I'm not going to play a piano accordion because I wouldn't be seen. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. I guess I'm not sure. Like, I really don't know. What, what was it like What was it like growing up there, then? Uh, what was your sort of townland called? Uh, tuna. Tuna, yeah. What, what was that like? So, and, and we're talking about what? Um, it's tiny little. We're place. talking in the late seventies. Yep. The, like, so I was born in nineteen sixty nine. Right. Yeah. Um, so just a tiny little village, not even a village, because just a shop and a school and a and a hall, like a community hall. Mm-hmm. So no pub or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't part of our growing up at all. Mm-hmm. What did you do for for fun when you're in your Teenage years. Oh, teenage years. Um, well, in our younger years, <laughs> like, we just had massive freedom, and we just, like, we would leave the house in the morning, and I know that's the same with kids here back then, too. Uh, we'd leave the house in the morning, we'd come home when we were hungry, and we'd just head off again. Mm-hmm. We just had huge freedom. There's a lot to be said for that. <laughs> it was a real, I got, that's what worried me about moving to Melbourne with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um that freedom is just, it's magic. It's, so yeah. what, what were you doing, though? Like, where did you go? Oh, we weren't what doing I want you to, mad. No, like, no, but like, what, I, stuff. what I'm thinking about <laughs> is like, um, can you paint a picture for I me? Can. of? Like, I can tell you a ridiculous story, but 
I remember one day my sister Nora and I, we just went on, a, we used to go on adventures. And we would just walk and walk and walk forever. And then, like this is going to sound ridiculous, but we would walk through, I remember one day we were walking through a field and there were cattle. And we had a dog with us. And the cattle followed the dog. Like this is going to sound ridiculous. But we just thought this was absolutely amazing. We were terrified and we ran. <laughs> we thought the cattle were following us but they were actually following the dog. And then, like, it was really simple, but it, we just, like... <laughs> what, what was your dog's name? Blackie. Uh-huh. What yeah. kind of dog was uh, it? A sheepdog. Sheepdog, like a collie? Mm. Yeah, a collie, yeah. yeah. Just, we went, we used to go off on lots of adven- mm. adventures. And then you're, you were farming too, right? From what yeah. Tola tells me, there was a bit of... You, your dad did a bit of farming too. Yeah, dad did. And I know Tola said that we used to help, but we actually didn't do that much. We So we'd head off. So we'd be at school all day. Dad would come home with us, and then we'd head off up to the farm, maybe 20-minute drive. And really, he would just... He'd go and do jobs, but we just... More adventures. Mm-hmm. Like, we just had... Again, I was thinking about this when Tola was interviewed... We would build like dams and streams, like really simple stuff, but just fantastic. Do you know, I've just spent most of the afternoon at the beach with my two kids and they didn't want to leave, right? Yeah. It got to five o'clock. I mean, the endless invention that they get out of just being able to dig holes in sand and dig trenches and build dams and all that stuff. And no plan. No, no plan. plan and no time mm-hmm. and no hurry yeah. and maybe a little bit of boredom. Like, I, I really think boredom's very important for kids. Actually, when my kids say they're bored, I'm really happy because <laughs> I think it's out of that that creativity comes. Do you think so? Oh, I do, yeah. You have to be bored. That's really interesting, yeah. I, I've, I've heard people talk about that before, right? That, that the... You know... I don't know if you have friends who are spending every free minute of the day running their kids to stuff know, back and I forth. Do, yeah. And um and I get that and I get that I have this similar desire to make sure that they get every opportunity to do everything. Or else they're going to lose out. In the hope that, yeah. that one of these things will yeah. be something that will really stick for them and that, that that will kind of open their life a bit in in a way. But there's this other part of me is just like, nah, nah, you know, let them have a, an afternoon after school where they're not doing stuff. Yeah. They're just hanging out and, you, so, you know, fighting. But <laughs> I had a massive awakening when we moved from New Zealand. So we were on quite a treadmill or whatever you call that, where we were, I was very, very involved with them. We were really, really busy. And then we moved here and we knew nobody and they weren't engaged in any activities at all. And we had a good six weeks where I realised we were just living the life that I never wanted to live. And it was just so busy in New Zealand. A lot of freedom and not fast-paced, but really, really busy. And I think maybe keeping up with the Joneses. Because as a parent, if your kids... For me at the time, if they weren't involved in things, then maybe I wasn't doing my job. And I just think that's so sad because that is not the way I want to parent. So when we moved here, I really realised that's... I really just wanted to slow things down. And I can't believe we had that opportunity to do that. 
Uh, that's interesting. So um, we should sketch in a bit of backstory here. So you were in Palmerston North in yeah. New Zealand, is that right? Yeah, about an hour and a half north of Wellington. Right. And so the idea that you would move from there to Melbourne to slow things down seems sort of counterintuitive. Oh, that, that wasn't the plan. The plan was Mark got a job here. Mm-hmm. We had been in New Zealand about 18 years and it was an amazing place to bring up kids. Um, but we were quite bored, Mark and I. We, you know, we just we wanted a bit more adventure. Right. How did you find your way to New Zealand? So you're, you get in a, a concertina when you're nine. <laughs> and you have, this, you have this period of, um, it sounds like quite idyllic, in a, in a way, yeah. your, your youth, right? Look, I wouldn't say idyllic. I don't know. It's just like everybody, like, that wasn't idyllic. That's just how people lived. Right. And maybe it was idyllic when you look back on it now. Um, but I don't think my kids would, would think their life isn't idyllic when they look back on it now, uh, when they're older. Hi. You know, it's yeah. just kind of what you had. Yeah. So, 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 what about yourself? So, you get you get a concertina, you start taking lessons in Ennis. Yeah. Um, and th- does it take long for for this instrument to start to take shape for you? Or? Look, to be really honest, the, the getting to Australia had really very little to do with me playing. It was more I I, you know, I went to high school, played music. I wasn't massively into it. Um, but I wanted to become a chef <laughs> and I wanted to travel so I did become a chef trained to become a chef in Galway and I really wanted to travel and the Irish music thing kept kicked in as, a, as an opportunity and I was up in Doolin one night not even playing just being with friends and met these People that were talking about this group in Sydney that were looking for Irish musicians to go and teach Irish music. And I was thinking, well, I would love to do that, but I wasn't playing much. Um, so I did a bit of research and I rang different people who had done that already. They had been to Sydney for a year. So they would get... So these were the things that were important to me at the time. They'd get their flight paid for, um, accommodation for maybe six months, have music lessons set up, and return flight as well. Right. So I just thought, wow, oh, adventure again. Like, how could you not take that opportunity? Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I had looked into going to Canada as a chef, but it was really hard to get a visa. So I guess I used Irish music as a way to get to Australia. Mm-hmm. And what were your first impressions when you when you got here? Oh, my God, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> Um, it was quite daunting in the planning because there were really bad fires in New South Wales. And back then I didn't, like, even like the reporting in the media, it was really hard to tell where the fires were. So the guy, Paul Mortimer, who was the guy who organised my trip out, I was trying to ring him and he wasn't answering. And I thought, oh my God, they must be, like, maybe they're burnt down. I didn't know what was happening. Um so when I got to Australia, yeah, it, it, I absolutely loved it. I loved the heat. And I just couldn't believe how even the smell of the flowers was really strong with that heat. Just like simple things, mm-hmm. simple things. And you were here on a six-month... Uh, I got a one-year visa. Right. Yeah, so just that one-year thing. Yeah, and, and how, did the, how did the teaching go? Actually, I don't think I was much good. <laughs> um, 
I wasn't really that good and I wasn't very patient. And I wasn't that confident. So I kind of got thrown into the deep end, to be honest. Um, but I met amazing people and I managed. Mm. You know, I just kind of got through it. Tell, tell me about being impatient. I find that funny. That's kind of interesting. Um, well, I remember. Do you remember? Go on. I do remember one. <laughs> I do remember one particular uh, incident where I was, there was a, this lovely older man wa- wanted to learn the accordion, but he wanted to learn like really complicated tunes. And I just, again, getting back to rhythm, I've got this thing and I just can't get past it. But like to me, the simplest of tunes played well. I just think that's incredible. Um, so I used to get frustrated with people that wanted to go straight from a, they were just learning but wanted to learn the hardest tunes possible because that's what people thought that sounded fantastic. But So I struggled with that and I struggled with him and we didn't survive. <laughs> what, you murdered him? <laughs> no. I killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just didn't. And yeah, so I think I didn't have a great reputation as a teacher. <laughs> So, so what happened then? Like I loved, I loved teaching kids right. because they're just so, they're just so accepting, and they don't ask too many questions, and they just do what you ask them to do. Right. I would have thought that would have been the other way around, but that's, there you go. Maybe that tells know. you about my kids. My kids would be the opposite. They don't tell. They don't do what I tell them to do. Oh, but that's because they're you're their always parent. asking questions. When you're their parent, I mean, I can't teach my kids. They won't learn from me. Right. Mama cannot teach. No, I can't. Mm-hmm. But when you're teaching other people's kids, they're just because they're used to being taught at school. They know that's just the system. You, you listen away. You do what you're told. Now, I wasn't that kind of teacher. It was quite a lot of fun, but I loved teaching kids. How How do you begin to to teach a kid? To play with the all on whistles, because that seems to be what everybody. Yeah, there was a lot of kids on whistles. Some kids had already been learning, so I just extended them. Mm-hmm. But again, it wasn't hard. And was that about was that about tunes? Was it about ornamentation? Was it about? So ornamentation freaked me out. So I wasn't great at that, um, and I guess I was a bit. So that was a bit of a sticking point. I wasn't happy to teach ornamentation until kids were confident with the tune. Yeah. And I, can, I think with kids that worked fine, that's where the difficulty was with adults. So I used to have adult classes as well at night time. Um, and I don't think I was a great teacher with adults. And what else were you doing with your time? Um, I did a bit of chefing work, which was fantastic because, you know, I earned a little bit of money that way. And it was very low pressure. I didn't take fancy chef jobs, just very low key jobs, just just to kind of keep me going. Was that first trip when you decided to stay? Oh, yes, it was. I I just loved it. I loved... It's really hard to think now what I loved about it, but I just... I guess the freedom and just... I had a one-year visa, so I like I'm not a complete adventure freak. You know, I just... Like, I had my one-year return flight at the end of the year. But I knew I'd make the best of that one year. But I knew after six months, then I really wanted to stay and make a year wouldn't be long enough. It just it was going by so quickly. So, so what did you do? Um, well, I met Mark, uh, my husband now, after six months, and 
Where did you meet? He was one of the people I was teaching. <laughs> but he was well able to play by then, so luckily he didn't have to endure my strange ways of teaching. Um, he was already playing. He had been to Ireland several times before we met. And he and the Sydney Irish musicians, like they had a big history of Irish music. Um, so I'd been in Australia maybe six months. We met up. Um, and then I started to apply for residency. And I was advised to go back to Ireland and apply from there. But I kind of was worried that if I'd go back, I might not come back to Australia again. Mm-hmm. So I was determined to apply from Australia. Why, why did you think that if you went back, you wouldn't leave? I don't know. I really don't know. Well, I do know. I guess, you know, once I go back to Ireland, like I'm the kind of person that just wherever I am, I make the best of it. So I was afraid that if I went back to Ireland, I would just kind of fall into it all again. And the hassle of going back to Australia. But there was Mark, so I guess that would have, you know, helped me get back to Australia in my head. But I, yeah, I just, I just thought it was more practical to stay. What, what about your mum and dad then? How did you tell them? I don't know. I, I don't really remember this. They, they remember it quite clearly. Um, but when you're on an adventure, these are not details you think too much about. <laughs> no, it, 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 it's pretty interesting as you get, uh, for me as I get older and, and have young kids myself and think about um, the emotional cost of leaving for your parents, right? Oh, no, of course you have to absolutely leave. Absolutely massive. Like I'm thinking of this now, my kids are only 10 and 14. I'm thinking of them, they'll be big travellers. So like I'm already thinking, how am I going to curb that? I don't know how my parents did this. Yeah. Was it because we had five kids, you know? <laughs> They'd at least have four at home. <laughs> I don't know, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it does, it does add a certain well, it gives me a perspective on my mum sitting in the corner sometimes having a cry to herself oh, of a night yeah. and just thinking, me thinking, not really knowing what was going on or, you know what I mean? Um, but clearly, with kids scattered all over the world, that's... Oh, I don't know how they did it. I definitely wouldn't be able. And that's the dilemma we're going to be facing. Because our kids have travelled so much. They've lived like they're New Zealand citizens. Mm. So, you know, we're going to be facing this. I'm already bracing myself for this. Can we have another tune? We can. So, on a sad note, I'm going to play a sad tune. I I love sad tunes. And I heard recently that Australians don't always like slow airs. Um, But I, I absolutely love them. I love them because it makes you think, and I guess when I play, that's what I like to do. So this is a this is a slow air that I got from a movie. A very I heard it, watched this movie years ago called When the Whales Came, and it's it's just it's about the sea. It's just beautiful. Okay, when the whales came.
That was beautiful. Did your did your parents ever talk to you about leaving, about you staying here? Um, about me staying in Australia. Yeah. Oh, lots. Um, they really are incredibly generous. Like they'll often, my mother will often say, "Oh, you know, maybe if you were in Ireland, you wouldn't be as happy." I actually know I would be because no matter where I'd live, I think I just make the best of it. But they. One thing they have never done is they've never made, I've never felt guilty for staying here, which I think is incredible. Um, so you're teaching for this period and then you meet Mark. Yeah. And um, what happens over the next few years that that you because teaching's pretty full on. So you, you, your, your music is at the forefront of what it you're doing. It wasn't my passion, though. It wasn't my passion. Like, it really, to be honest, and the Sydney Irish musicians are going to hear this. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but they know me well enough now, thank goodness. It, look, it wasn't my passion. It was, it, to be honest, it was a stepping stone. And it was, a, what a fantastic one. Yeah. I was just so lucky. Um, but it wasn't my passion at all. And even Irish music wasn't. It really, adventure was and travel. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted to travel. Um, so, so what did you do yourself and Mark? So very soon, so we got a, I got a lawyer, a, a solicitor. She was amazing in Sydney and she helped me compile this incredible amount of information because I, it wasn't an easy residency to get. It was kind of under a different heading, kind of unique um, qualifications, I think it was what it came under. So I had to get letters from all kinds of people in Ireland to show how Australia needed me as an Irish music teacher, which is quite ironic, really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I got amazing letters from Noel Hill, and my dad did an awful lot of work to help um, compile all these letters and this information, and I got residency. And then within about two months, Mark got offered a job in New Zealand. And off we go, another adventure. And my residency from here covered me in New Zealand. So that was really, really handy as well. And so where did you move to in New Zealand? So I had, before I moved to Australia, I had actually been in London for two years. So I'd gone from London back to Ireland for a year, then to Sydney, and then from Sydney to this small town, Palmerston North. Um, And I... I thought we'd have a great adventure, but I think I, I spent the first week crying. I really wasn't sure if I wanted to stay or if I could stay. Um, and I panicked. I'd never panicked before that when I travelled, but I just, it seemed so far and just, just very cut off from what I was, big city life. What, what was it like, aside from that, Palmerston North, like, so describe it. Again, I'm going to say paint a picture for me, but like, what kind of town? Um, probably about 70,000 population, so not a small town. Um, but go- coming from Sydney, that was quite daunting. Like, it was quite, quite a shock. Um, university town, big hospital, um, people from all over the world, which was fantastic. So that was great. 
Um, but I remember Toll was actually with us when we went there first. He was visiting on a holiday and he came That's with your us. your brother. Yeah, my brother. And I remember going into a cafe and I saw these tea towels. I, I remember this really clearly, but I saw these tea towels on sandwiches under the counter and I just thought, I can't live here. <laughs> I just couldn't imagine staying there. Um, and so... Tola left, he went back to Ireland, and we had about maybe six weeks in New Zealand. Mark was very busy with his new job, and I just decided, that's it. I'm going back to Ireland for three months. I need to just kind of clear my head and decide what am I doing. Am I committing to this or or what? Uh, were you married at this point? No, no, we weren't, no. And, and Mark was working as he a vet? He was working as a vet at Massey University and he was studying. So he was really, so he had a whole, like he, we got there and he had something to walk into. Um, and I guess when I went to Sydney, I had something to walk into. You know, everything was set up. But Palmerston North, there was really nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was quite scary for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I just couldn't see myself staying there. What was it like when you went back to Ireland then? It was a ball. <laughs> it was amazing. I just went a bit mad, I think, because I just, I, I, to be honest, I probably was clear in my head that I was going back to Palmerston North. So I just wanted three months of just fun. And that's what it was. Just fun. Doing what? Um, catching up with a lot of people, playing a little bit of music. Dad had a big concert on. I think I just went back and yeah, met a lot of people through, through Toll and through my sisters. We'd, mm-hmm. I just had a lot of fun. And how long had you been away then? Like a year and a half maybe? Probably two years by yeah. then. Which isn't that long. Was it, did it, how different did it feel when you went back? Oh, it didn't. Not at all. Yeah. No, like old socks. No, no, just the same. Yeah. But I was obviously different and I was more confident, maybe. I think I was... De- no, I was definitely more confident. Um, well, you would be, right? So. Yeah, you know, because it's a big deal to go to Australia. It didn't seem a big deal at the time, but when I went back to Ireland after all of that, it, I was a lot more confident. Mm-hmm. And was there any doubt as you were there for that three months, even amongst having having the fun, was there ever, ever any doubt that that you wanted to leave again? No. No, no because of Mark. Mm. Other than him, of course, I, I would have stayed for sure in Ireland. But no, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. What was it like when you were leaving again after that three months? It was really hard. It was, it was really hard. Because I knew, I think, when I left Ireland the first time, to go to Australia, it was an adventure. But this time, I knew this was a big decision. It was very different and, look, it was sad. We had a massive party, <laughs> as you do, and got extremely drunk. And I don't know how I even got on that plane. I don't know how I even had a suitcase. I, I know Mary and Francis, like they nearly threw me into a car and we just, <laughs> <laughs> to Shannon Airport like we were devastated all of us but you know once I got on that plane I was fine that, that's kind of when you rely on family to 
pushy Look, what give you that push up the incredible steps. you know and it, it <laughs> and that my parents like it just must have been massive for them like you were saying about your kids our kids are little i don't know how they did it but they did they did they did So was Mark there to meet you in Palmerston? He was. <laughs> and he pulled out all the stops. And he, <laughs> he did. He bought me this beautiful new bicycle. And like all these things, he just, yeah. I don't, we've never really talked about how that was for him. It must have been really hard. Three months is a long time. And we hadn't even been together that long, really. Um, but, you know, we still have letters that we wrote to each other from then. And... Did, did he, um, in in those letters, I mean, do you, do you sense that, that he knew, did he know you were coming back? I mean, the I guess he did, because I was pretty definite in the letters. I don't think there was any doubt in the letters. Um, and I'd ring him at all kinds of times. And <laughs> No, I don't think there was any. Like when I talked to him and the minute I'd hear his voice, there was no doubt. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's just how it was. So you arrive back in Palmerston North where they cover the sandwiches with tea towels. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, what's and that what's the first like it. I, I I just saw it in a different light and then because I was determined then to make a go of it. Like I there's no way I could have gone back to Palmerston North and cried again for another week. That just isn't me. Um, and I enrolled in a social work degree at Massey, so it was full steam ahead. Like, there was no looking back. Right. Uh, was that the same for you and Mark then as well, in terms of relationship? Like that's oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that, after those three months um, of quite wild times, you know, I was very clear, and obviously he was too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So when did you get married? Um, four years later. Mm-hmm. Where? Uh, we actually came back to Ireland to get married um, and a lot of those Sydney Irish musicians came um, to our wedding mm-hmm. and Mark's parents came as well. Where, where did you have the wedding? In, in a Diamond. Uh-huh. So that was a really that was a really important place for me to get married because I had worked there as a chef I had, um, when I was very young so we got married there. It's just a really small wedding but it was really, it was really simple and lovely. Mm-hmm. And how long did you stay there before you went back? Oh God, we just went back to Ireland for the wedding. Yeah. It was just, and it was a crazy time because Dad had, he was determined that I was going to make a CD. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, he was really clever because if I didn't do it, then I never would have. And so we, I was pra- playing a lot of music in Paris, not just at home, practicing. And we went back to Ireland, the worst jet lag ever, got married, made a CD and left. Nice going. <laughs> it's all very full on. Uh-huh. Do you still have the CD? Obviously. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just, I'm so proud of it because that would never have happened. And who and played on it with you? Um, Mark played on it. So we actually found this. What, what does Mark play? He plays concertina. So we found this like an adolescent recording studio in Palmerston North where, where we recorded tunes together, sent those back to Ireland. And then when I got back to Ireland, Dad and my mother were playing and Tola was in it and Mary Owen O'Neill 
um, Kevin Griffin. So, like, it just was an incredible... Owen O'Neill? Yeah. The yeah. Who's Owen O'Neill? Bazooki player. Bazooki player? Yeah. yeah. So he was, he was part of our family for a while, and so and a great friend. Um, and Dad just roped him in, thank goodness. So <laughs> he did the sound as well as playing. Like, it just was this mad thing. But that's that's yeah, brilliant. It just was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, back in Palmerston North, then um, you're still you've still got music uh, bubbling away, and you you have this CD. You come back, you're married. What what are the early years of married life like? Well, it was fantastic because with Mark's job, we got to travel a lot. So we, well, before the travel, we had amazing friends, and so. Palmerston North people, you know that bring a plate um, expression. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never heard of that before, but it was a massive thing in Palmerston North. So people, every weekend we had people at our house, so we'd go to people's houses and we'd a lot of friends. Um, so really solid base. And then we travelled a lot. So South America, the islands. We travelled, yeah, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was really fantastic. Mm-hmm. We just had a ball, really. Um, and I was doing the social work degree, which I absolutely loved. Met more people through that. Um, so it was very, very busy, like really busy. And Mark was studying, so was, he was studying his master's at that stage. So it was quite hectic. Yeah. And then back to Ireland, you know, back to Ireland every so often. Yeah, it just it went by so fast. Uh-huh. And, and then in there somewhere you have your first child? No, um, so four years of a degree, and then so but then we got married, and then I got this job at the hospital, um, working in child and adolescent mental health, which I absolutely loved, um, and I did that for six years. So we didn't have kids until much later, um, which we that was kind of a decision we'd made, um, and I think for me it was because I didn't have great supports. I just didn't want to have kids in a place where I didn't have good support. But as time went by, my friends were like family. Yeah. It was just, and I loved my job. I'm working at the hospital and getting to know more people there too. Yeah. Yeah. And is this a period when you're not doing much music anymore? No, no, nothing, really nothing. I mean, I really haven't played a lot of music over the years. Um, I, I, I just so uh, sorry. I, I know I keep coming back to that. The, the reason I keep coming back to that is it's. it's I not, know it's, it's very hard for people. Well, to understand it's not actually this. about it's not actually about your family or anything like that. For me personally, it's just I'm curious because I had a long. I mean, I've obviously never played to the standard that you play, but like I played a lot when I was younger, and then I just somehow stopped, and I I still couldn't really tell you why. For a long period, right? Yeah. And so that's why I keep gravitating back towards that. I'm just kind of. Um, I'm just sort of putting my hands in the water <laughs> See, I just wondered what was going to come out Look, I knew you were going to ask this and I tried to think of an answer but Maybe there isn't I a, don't know if I have one yeah, maybe the, like, I just know that when I play if I can, like, I know friends who are into sport who run and I absolutely am not one of those people but they talk about getting into a zone and I just couldn't get into that with my music and if I couldn't get into that zone I didn't want to play that's just kind of the person I am. Mm. So I didn't enjoy it. So why would you do that? This, I always have so many other things to do that I got great pleasure from. So it just didn't light my fire. I don't know what the expression is. Yeah. It just didn't. Yeah. 
Um, were you then sort of aware of um, what the rest of your family were doing musically and were you following them? Oh, absolutely. And absolutely loved it. Like, I, it's, we were never competitive, ever. So I guess I was just really happy. I was just really happy and they knew I was happy and Dad has always kind of pushed the music thing, you know, are you playing? Um, but, you know, I would take no notice. That's like my mum used to always say, right? are you saying your prayers? <laughs> Thank God my parents didn't say that, but, like, he would always kind of nudge, you know, right. and he has kept that up right. and and now he's just so delighted that I'm playing. Well, here we are. Oh. I mean... Um, and we've got this gorgeous thing. So when I ring my parents now, you know, often there wouldn't be a lot to say to Dad. But now we've, the, and especially with the concerts we're organising and um, for the fire relief, uh, for the fundraising, there's just so much to talk about. It's just, it's just, it's absolutely stunning. This new kind of thing we have. That's that's really uh, kind of beautiful. It's amazing. Like it, you couldn't plan it. You just, you couldn't plan this. Would you play us another tune? I'll play another tune. Okay, so what is this one? This is a jig. I So since I've come back to music, which isn't really come back to it really, because I don't know how much I was really into it, but since I've started really getting into it since October 2019, I rang my sister Mary because I was desperate for some new tunes. And... I had learned a lot of tunes from East Clare and I wanted something from West Clare and she's very into West, West Clare tunes and so she sent me this tune and I suspect that she wrote it but I'm not 100% sure but it's a really it's just a really beautiful jig and I don't know the name she didn't give me the name but somebody out there will know the name and it's going to play two jigs and the second one is called The Cliffs of Moher
the cliffs of moher yeah. <laughs> so just before we finish then like um it it's it's really lovely to hear you playing and and it's hard for me to imagine you not playing you know what i mean i do know and i've thought about this myself you know when i said when we were in new zealand and we were on that kind of treadmill really really busy no time to stop and think and i don't know but coming over here and just really stopping and thinking and deciding what we wanted to do with our kids and slow down the pace yes let them have some activities but i have this thing about the boredom thing and i love it and i think maybe with music for me i i've really started to think how i want to play i've never thought of that before and i that getting into the zone thing is my that's i this is my thing you know i, I you going from that um period in Palmerston North where you're growing you're going great guns and you're both studying and so on how do you get to the treadmill like you know what happens because oh, because that's kind of an interesting progression in itself right and it's no. part of life right no, it's look, just you have friends and everyone's look you just follow everybody everyone's doing these things and you know you have kids you join a we called it a coffee group in New Zealand, mother's group, I think you call it here, and like everyone's just doing the same thing. And if you're not, you wonder why you're not. You know, maybe you should be. Like, I don't know if we were all that confident. Um, but moving over, I just got this confidence and thought, this, I don't want this life. I don't want, we're moving to a massive city what, compared what, to Paris North. What, what happened though? Like, so what happened that? Like, where was that feeling in you? Like, in your body, for instance, like, where was that feeling sitting that was... Oh, Dominic, that's a very big question. <laughs> um, like, I don't know. Well, I think it was probably looking at our kids when we arrived. Actually, I do know. When we arrived, the best thing that ever happened was we didn't have any furniture. Where, in Melbourne? Who in you? Melbourne. And so Mark's family gave us lots of camping gear. So our, our, all our furniture, our house was being moved, but it would take six weeks. So we had this kind of simple life with a TV just about. You know, we really had the basics. Um, there wasn't even much house cleaning to do because there was so little. It just was, it was the most amazing opportunity to just stop and think and just... Look, it's, this is going to sound ridiculous, but it's just to kind of be, just be, and not be too bothered by things. If that makes sense. That makes, absolutely makes sense, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, because they were, kids weren't at school, Gracie hadn't started school. Um, Joe, we had, I think we had about three weeks here before he started. So it's just this gorgeous time. Kids, myself, Mark was at work, he'd come home, really really simple I don't know I just think we were really lucky to have that how long ago was that that was five years ago so it took five years then for you to oh, to organically come back to the music yeah well there was no space you know it was just like that was a, like my job really Mark was working and I wasn't well I'm I was working, but not in paid work. Right. Full-time parenting. And 
Oh, look, as a therapist, it was so important to me that we didn't mess up our kids' heads moving here. You know, Joe had friends. Gracie was really happy. She hadn't started school. I was going to say, how do you not mess up their heads with a move like that? <laughs> haven't, haven't moved my own children well, <laughs> thousands of miles. Look, it was really hard. It was really hard. And maybe a lot of what I was trying to convince them about what I was trying to convince myself, that we hadn't made a mistake. It was a huge move. Um, you know, we had so many friends... It was a huge risk, but I guess I am a kind of plan B person too. And so even taking the risk here, like I just knew we wouldn't stay if it wasn't going to work. We'd either go back to New Zealand or go to Ireland. You know, we don't have to stay somewhere we're not happy. But I, it's like when, when, I, when we left Seattle, one of my friends said to me, just as we were saying goodbye, she said, I can't believe you're all leaving us <laughs> and yeah. and and that was it and then we left and I wonder again about how you started to tell your friends in Palmerston oh, it North it was really hard and we actually in the end stopped going to dinner parties because I just said to Mark I'm not going to justify anymore why we're leaving and I felt that's what we were doing for quite a while. People kept saying, before, like, how are you going to raise your kids? And people were so negative. Um, and it wasn't as if we hadn't thought of that. Like, I had actually cried quite a bit. I do this <laughs> in the planning. And, and I remember talking to my parents and I think we're ruining our kids' lives. <laughs> and they're going to just you know, be hanging out at the shopping plaza. Huge shopping centres. And... But, you know, I think all that talking helped and just working through, not really needing their responses, but just working it through. Um, and my, I had a relative, my dad's sister, she said the most beautiful thing, and I'm going to cry now because she's just very special. But she said, um, you know, it's not actually about where you go, it's about the people that you are. And she said, you know, if it's important to you and Mark that, that you're outdoor people and you want your kids to enjoy nature then you'll make that happen so she was right we did you know we did and you are yeah we are and we absolutely like we just we like we did a lot of research we didn't just get on a plane and arrive in melbourne we did a massive amount of research um to find the part of melbourne where we felt we'd be happiest and it's paid off Can we have one more tune? What do you fancy doing? Um, God. I should play something happy. <laughs> Maybe not. Whatever you Maybe. feel no, like. Actually, I'm not going to play a happy tune. I'm going to play a tune. So my thing at the moment that I've realised that I love to do, I love, so this is a very new thing for me. I love to take tunes and play them as slow as I possibly can and keep the rhythm and keep the tune. And it's quite a hard thing to do, to really, really, really slow it down. But it's my passion at the moment. Um, so I'm going to try it with this tune. It might not work, but I'm going to give it a go. And, and what's the tune, do you know? It's a Breton tune. And it's just it's got beautiful change of keys. And this I got from my sister Mary as well. So there's always family, like they're with me all the time. Um, thank you for 
overcoming your initial <laughs> reluctance to talk to me. It's been so lovely. Thank you. Oh, it's been great, Dominic. Thank you. Has it been as awful as you thought it would no, be? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see when I hear it back. <laughs> Custy, what do you make of that? It's brilliant. Yeah, it's just beautiful playing yeah. as well. You know, I, one thing that's happened to me in the course of this uh, 35 episodes we've done so far, uh, I have come to love the concertina, which was my least favorite instrument up to this point. Okay. So from Jamie Malloy back in episode three up to now, I'm totally via Mary McNamara, Sarah Wade. And here we are, Kathy Dusty, brilliant. And of course, Kieran. Oh, so you've had, jeez, Kieran. You've had, of you've, course, you've had a good selection there yeah, for sure. I know. Yeah. So thank you again, Kathy Dusty. Good luck. Hi, my name is Rosa. Please become a subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.